everybody. Welcome back to the 18th episode of Taps and Patience. I am AJ with Design the Everything here with Harrison of Precision Ingenuity. Hey, Harrison, how you doing? I'm doing great. How you doing this evening? I am feeling so much better than I was a week or two ago. Oh, what happened? Yep. Antibiotics. <laughs> so. Start. Go ahead. Yeah. Sometime um, I, I've been so out of it that I've lost all track of, of time, but I've been sick for like a month or I had been sick for like a month, maybe five weeks. It started right after Thanksgiving, actually, because it, it started with me being allergic to my in-laws dogs. And then like that turned into a cold and then that turned into bronchitis or something. And then, then that turned into a pneumonia. Um, and of course this was all while I was trying to fulfill the Kickstarter for the carabiners. And I was just always tired and always sick and always coughing. And then finally it got so bad the other day that, uh, we were talking to a, a doctor that's in our family and she was like, you, you might have pneumonia. Let me give you some antibiotics and some steroids and oh. that'll take care of that. And that took care of that. She wrote me a prescription and my wife went and picked it up for me. And, um, I mean, before that I was, I was miserable. I was stuck in bed. I was throwing up. I was by the toilet for other reasons. Um, <laughs> and like, I just felt awful, but antibiotics the next day i was like pretty good the day after that i was back in the shop for a couple hours i like worked a couple hours went took a nap then went back for another couple hours and now i'm more awake and alert and able to think than i've been in literally a month or a month and a half that so, is awesome i i haven't i didn't go my, i was yeah, gonna say i didn't I go say, down as hard as you did but I feel I, I went through something similar. And when you get a good night's sleep and wake up and feel so much better, it's just everything runs smoother. So. So I got some really cool parts in the mail today. Oh, do tell. Um, they're from this little, uh, not, I was gonna say niche manufacturing company, but that's not really true. Um, <laughs> this little manufacturing company in Arkansas. Um, Ar- wait, no, Arkansas. Is that right? Yeah, I'm talking so. Okay, sorry. I just had a, a first... Okay, anyway. Um, yeah, so Harrison made me a bunch of my orange slices and more tape measure shells. Uh, I am almost completely out of orange slices after the holiday season. Sales have slowed down after the holidays for sure. I think I've only yeah. sold two or three in the last couple of weeks. Um, or they've just been eclipsed by carabiners. Maybe people are buying carabiners instead of the orange slices, but... Uh, now with a little bit of tumbling, at least I will be fully restocked on those, which will be great because those have been just like a constant rock steady, like never a huge seller, but like I'm always selling, you know, 250, $300 of them a month. And it was just a nice, really stable income. So I'm glad I'm not running out of those. That's, that's like the perfect type of product. It's like not one that like has highs and lows, but one that's consistent. So, well, that's good. So, yeah, they they were a a fun little project to do, and we had a lot of fun doing them. Um, I felt a little bit bad with how long it took us to get them done because of my mishaps on the ordering side, but um, I felt pretty good about the final result when we got them all done. And, your and that's why measures, I ended up with the. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, go ahead. Um, and that's why I ended up with extra copper ones, right? It's just because you ordered extra. No, that that was straight from send cut send. 
they sent us that many extra okay. from from what we ordered. <laughs> I'll take them. It is what it is. <laughs> That's what we said. We are like, um, well, here's the deal. We ordered like two extra of every single type just to make mm-hmm. sure that if something went wrong, we had extra. Yeah, set of pieces. Yeah. And they sent us the correct amount of one sides. They didn't send us the, the they sent us two less than what we ordered on another. So we only, we had the exact amount we ordered and then they sent us eight more than we had ordered on the other one. So their numbers were all over the place. It and is then, wild. Yeah. Then we, we messaged them about it and they gave us a credit back, but we were placing an order and I was like, Hey, can you just add those two onto the order that we just placed? And they were like, oh, we can't, sorry, but we'll overnight you some. I was like, okay, that's fine. That's cool, too. And then I never got those, but the order I did get came with extra again. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on, but we, we, we don't get the amount that we've ordered on any of these orange slices. So, <laughs> I don't know what's huh. going on. But I know I've always gotten way extra from them before. Like on the key rings, they gave me like 45 extras, which granted yeah. I ordered like 2000 key rings, but hey, yeah. 45 is 45. When you're ordering like 20, it doesn't take that much to count. So, and you can yeah. see it visually on the package when it's like, yes. these are all supposed to be the same amount, and there is way more of one than the others. Yeah. So, um, Actually, to be fair, with the key rings, I didn't count. I just, like, they had numbers written on the baggies they came in. Like, there was one baggie that said, like, 700, and one baggie that said, like, 800, and one baggie that said, mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever math is left. And I just kind of went off their numbers and added them up, and they gave me, like, 45 extra. But Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, which, I understand why you cut extra, but... Yes. I also don't understand why sometimes you have less than what is ordered. So, <laughs> or why the extra you count isn't cut isn't consistent. So, yes, maybe yeah. they just fill up a sheet and just go with that. I guess I don't know. But, it's true. Dead space is dead space. Might as well, you know, not risk yeah. undercutting. Yep. But, anyways, regardless, I'm glad we got them to you. Um, and uh, your your uh, tape measures ran really good the second time um Sweet. i was re- i i didn't have to really do hardly any tweaking at that point we had got them dialed in and they they ran smooth that's so that's how you want it <laughs> yeah no i was i was very impressed um i just got done cleaning out the machine today and i had um half of a 50 over half of a 55 gallon drum of shavings and most of that was from your uh tape measures so yeah i guess they're mostly it's one of those parts that becomes mostly air. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was it was pretty it was pretty cool. Um, I do have some good news though. What's that? Uh, so a company that we've been doing some work with just sent us a massive PO. Um, nice. At least at least it's about two or three times the size of the first PO we got from them, um, which is a really good sign. And then I I almost feel like I underbid everything because I sent them the quote and they're like, oh, numbers look good. Go for it. 
and it was like too fast for them to actually like um I don't know if they send it out to other people or what, but like they just came back. We're like, Oh yeah, that's great. And I'm just like, did I way underbid this? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like what's going on now? So is it mill work or lathe work? Uh, 99% mill with, I think three lathe parts in there. Um, so the original PO or the original quote was for 107 parts. Um, and about 20 different flavors of parts in that 107. Um, and a lot of them are on the edge of what I can fit on my machine. Um, so that's going to be fun. Um, but we verified that, that we could run them all. And thankfully a lot of them can be water jet cut, um, on the external features, but they all have a lot of internal features that'll need machined. So my plan is to get almost all of them water jet cut. Maybe some of them water jet cut a little bit oversized and then bring them into spec. That way I'm not because my machine is really slow at re removing bulk material. Oh, excuse me. So if I can. Uh, if I can get a water jet cut and remove most of the material and then just um, kind of touch them into spec, then I think that'll be golden. Plus, the way this company works, they want everything sandblasted anyway, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm not too worried water jet about... Waterjet basically does that already. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not too worried about, like, surface finish quality too much unless they have higher tolerances. And then those faces, I typically like to... They like them if they're left not um, sandblasted. So... Makes sense. Mating surfaces. So... But anyways, excited to see that. Um... And I didn't really talk about this much last week because we had a, a guest, um, which I really enjoyed last week's podcast um, with uh, with James. So that was awesome. Um, but I got a, a new software called Monday.com. Ah, so yeah. um, it's free for two users or less, which thankfully it's just me and my cousin right now. So we qualify. Um and we've started using it to organize all of our thoughts and jobs that we currently have going through. And so it's been awesome. And I think it's reduced a lot of mental stress of just keeping up with everything. Um, and it makes me feel like I'm doing better than I thought I was on some level. Um, because we didn't create jobs for necessarily all the gun stuff we were doing. So a lot of that stuff was just in our head. And so we would look at like stuff that we're working on and we had it on like a whiteboard and the list would be pretty small. But now we've started putting stuff like gun stuff on into our workflow. And so we know what's going on and what's coming up. And it feels we feel a lot, I feel a lot busier, but I also feel a lot more productive um, because we can organize stuff and be like, OK, t on this day, we want to get this done on this day. We want to get this done on this day. We want to get this done. You know, do we have work lined up for three days, five days, a week, two weeks? Um, and we can start to kind of picture and graph some of that stuff out. Um, and we can also make notes on things like, Hey, make sure we have this stuff ordered by this date, make sure, um, you know, material should be coming in on this date. So if this date comes by and materials not in, then figure out what's going on. Like we can set reminders and things and it's all, um, live between the two of us and we can leave notes for each other and, but we don't have to tell them to each other. We can just leave a note, and then if you go to work on that job, I can go back and be like, okay, uh, you know, Weston 
when he was working on this job, he did this last and he left me a little note. That way, whenever I start working on it, I know what to do next. Um, and so for that, I think it's just cleared up a lot of mental space and, and on bo- for both of us. So I use Airtable pretty heavily. I used to use it more than I do now. But Airtable, I think, kind of lets you do a lot of the same things, but it's less like productivity focused. It's more just like store anything. Whereas mm-hmm. Monday.com sounds a little bit more like this is for organizing your work. It, it is. And the nice thing about it is you can set up automations. So you can have it automatically advance stuff. Like you can set it up however you want. Um, but the way I have it set up right now is I have different categories. I have categories for jobs that we have had requests for bid, but we haven't actually bid it yet. I have jobs that we have bid, but have not been either awarded or denied. I have jobs that are active. I have jobs that we have finished, but haven't got paid for. And then I have jobs that are 100% closed out. And so we can see them as they go through all the different stages. And then we can track how long they're in each stage. And then I can have automations where I can have priorities like, okay, um, we want to have it done by this day. so. Um, I'll have a flag that'll be like five days out. And then when it gets to the day before, it'll turn to tomorrow. And then when it turns to the day of, it'll turn bright red and say, this needs to get done today. And then if I miss it, it'll turn black and go, hey, you're late. Get this done today. <laughs> so um, stuff like that. That it, I mean, we're setting our own due dates. It's not like I have a boss that's over my shoulder, which is the one thing I always hated about stuff like that. I always hated that pressure. But now being my own boss, it kind of gives me reassurance to know, okay, what did I think I could get done myself? And am I setting realistic or unrealistic expectations for myself and what we can actually accomplish in a, in a, in a workday? You know, so I don't overload ourselves and so I can give people realistic timelines. So, yeah, makes sense. Uh, I, I really need to get, well, Let's, uh, let me take a step back. Have you ever played with Google App Sheets or formerly just known as App Sheets before Google bought them? Very, very, very little. I, I, I played with them briefly, but I didn't have a whole lot of time to dedicate to like writing everything that I had in my, everything I wanted to get out of them. I, I've played with Google App Sheets some. I set up a, um, like a work order system for the engineering department, meaning me basically at my my last job because it was a one-man show and you know i had a way so that you know the either the shop or my boss could assign me work orders and um Mm. it never ended up getting used because they didn't really do computer like i couldn't i couldn't convince them to like actually use a digital organized system um Mm -hmm. but it was something that i was trying to set up to make it easier for the next engineer and like I was on my way out, and if they didn't want to use it, whatever, I wasn't going to make them. But anyway, I really like Google App Sheets, and I want to move a lot of the stuff that I do now from Airtable to App Sheets, and particularly for things like tracking uh, mileage. Because technically, that truck I have is a Design the Everything truck, um, and whenever I drive it, I need to you know track the mileage so I get my 56 cents or whatever it is a mile. Yeah. Um, but... Do you know how many times I've done that this year without having any sort of system in place? Probably too much. No, I've done it exactly zero times. I've done oh, it. Oh, really? I, I, yeah. Um, 
basically my plan is to go through and count up the number of receipts I have at our hardware store, which is where I drive the truck 90% of the time. And I'm just going to take that distance and multiply it. Um, but I have uh, forgotten to write down the actual mileage every single yeah. time. Yeah. So obviously I need some sort of better system in place. Cause I don't know, that's like hundreds of dollars of tax deductions that I could have. Yeah. I know. I think it was, I don't know if it's QuickBooks or something else that there's, a, there's bit, there is apps QuickBooks where you can does track. It. Yes, there's um, lots of ways you can do it. Yeah. I even thought about at one point doing like an Uber deal where I'm not actually using Uber to drive, but just using it to track getting from location to location. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> I, yeah. It also does not help that in that truck, the the screen that has the display of your mileage and if you're like what gear you're in doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So like, I still don't know how many miles are on that truck. They had a guess. <laughs> it oh. was, did I mention this was an under $3,000 truck? <laughs> yeah. So no, you had, I, I would have to do it via Google Maps anyway. Yeah. No, that's fine. Yeah. Hmm. So what else you got going on? Um, well, today was really my first full day of work since being sick. And so that's probably like a week or so that I've been, mm-hmm. you know, a full day. Um, I did a couple things. I got cut up, caught up on some carabiner uh, Kickstarter orders that have been trickling in. Um, just for Carab- people who didn't fill out their backer survey on time. Oh, okay. I was, I was, I was confused. I was like, I thought you got all those shipped out. I shipped out the main batch of everybody who filled out their backer survey on time, um, which was about 350 orders. I just shipped out about 10 more today, and now I have 40 people left who have not filled out their backer survey yet. And they will get an gotcha. email every Tuesday until they do so. Uh, but otherwise, pa- it's... Paid, but haven't sent in their... their uh... Yeah, they've paid. I have their money. I just can't send them the carabiners because <laughs> I don't have their address. Oh, man. So um, Carabiners have been trickling out. I've sold a not a torrent of them, but a steady flow. That's good. Um, so, like, in fact, the this month has been probably my best month on Etsy in a couple months. So, and we're only that's nine awesome. days into the month. That's uh, awesome. So that's been pleasant. I even I even ordered more carabiner blanks today, which I did not expect to have to do for you know really? months. Yeah, that is part awesome. of that. Part of that is because I have uh, so many colors that like I have a lot of carabiners tied up in various colors. Oh, um, okay, that's fair. So. Like if I have ten of each color, I have 120 carabiners sitting in inventory. Um, yeah. Are you are you trying to keep X amount in each color, or are you going to get to the point where you only have stone wash and you paint them per order? I am going to slowly dwindle down my numbers, and I will keep the bulk of them in stone washed. And then if I if I run out of a certain color, I'm just going to powder coat six, which is just one side of my powder coating fixture. Mm-hmm. And I'll keep those in inventory again until I run out of them. And then I'll do six more. Yeah, that's a good idea. It's a good strat. So, um, so let's see. I've been tricking like carabiners. I just ordered some more. I have some changes I want to make to my machining process on those, but nothing major. I'm going to go to a slightly smaller slot on the inside. So they're just a little bit stiffer. And I'll probably do a roughing and a finishing tool. Getting ready for your next Kickstarter? I am. So that's the other big news. 
Uh, I am aiming to launch my next Kickstarter on the 15th, which is in six days. Mm-hmm. Um, it probably won't happen quite on the 15th because I still have to get approved by Kickstarter and the campaign isn't done yet. So okay. I think in order to get approved, I would have to launch by... Or I'd have to submit for approval probably by Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That might be possible at this point, actually. But I'm, I, I kind of did an oopsie because I told people that I was going to do the tape measures of the next Kickstarter. I even mm-hmm. put that in the sticker of the month club letter. And mm-hmm. now I'm changing my mind. Okay. Um, so now I'm going to remove the generative element from the tape measure Kickstarter. And mm-hmm. I'm going to stick it onto a coin, just like some of those coins that I made for the prototype of the month members. Mm-hmm. And that'll be my, my make 100 entry. So I'm only going to make 100 of them. Even if the Kickstarter does like completely sells out all 100, it's only going to be like a $3,000 Kickstarter. So now a quick little one. Did you get any feedback from those guys that you sent them to uh, for your, from your Patreon on the coins? Um, The big things was they need to be tumbled a little bit longer, which makes sense. I only gave them a couple hours because I was in a hurry. And then um, there was some, the way that I was generating toolpaths could result in some little gouges. And mm-hmm. I, I think I have that worked out mostly by changing the, the tool I'm using. And then also more contrast between the inside and the outside, between the engraving and the surface. Now, were they happy with the coins as like a concept or as like a, an item? Yes, they were. Um, Good. And I mean, it's, it's always just going to be a coin. Like, it's never yeah. going to be a mind-blowing product. But, I mean, it's well, a very satisfying little coin. It, it is. And that's the thing. Like, that's our number one seller on Etsy is, is those coins as as custom laser engravings. Um, people love them. And Speaking of which, I need to buy, like, 10 or 20 of those for me for <laughs> practicing purposes. Yeah. We can do that. Actually, if you'd said something sooner, we could have sent them with your, your I other work. I didn't think about it. <laughs> um, I, I had pneumonia. I have an excuse. Yeah, that's fair. But today I started experimenting with some of that finishing technique on them. Mm-hmm. And I think I found something that'll work. I need to um, see if it'll hold up over time. But basically, like I was having a hard time getting the engraving to be dark. I didn't want to use Cerakote. I didn't want to use powder coat. I didn't want to do an enamel fill. And so what I, after a couple of experiments, what I settled on was doing, I think this qualifies as a cold blue or a hot blue. I think it qualifies as bluing. Um, it's not a cold blue. It's a hot blue where I heat it up with a propane torch. I sandblast it first. Then I heat it up with a propane torch and then I quench it in some tapping oil. And that gives a really nice matte gray finish to it. And I'm hoping that when they come out of the t- tumbler tomorrow, the outside of it will be smooth and shiny. And then the inside of the engraving will still be sandblasted in black. That's what I'm going for. That's really cool. It's a good idea. The other idea I was going to suggest was, um, and well, I don't know. Can have you tried tumbling something after you've powder coated it? Does that flake off after you 
I've never done it with powder coat. I've done it with Cerakote. I think I think the powder coat would probably stay intact mostly, whereas the Cerakote does kind of get beaten off. Yeah, that's why I didn't know the difference between powder coat and Cerakote. If powder coat, if you tumbled it, if the powder coat would come off. Or the other thing I was going to say is, can you powder coat it, flash cure it, but not cure it all the way, and tumble the excess off and then cure the rest of it somehow? I don't know. I've definitely never tried that. Um, but there's no way really to hold these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no holes or anything. Actually, I guess you could just clamp them because you're going to, if you clean out the outside. Exactly. Um, okay. So you could hold them. I don't know. I mean, you could almost hold them and uh, you could almost powder coat them. And then before the, while the powder's still on there, because it's all going to be in the cracks and crevices, you could like lightly sand them to remove all the powder off the outside mm-hmm. and then cure them. And then when you tumble them, any small specks that you might have left on the outside would go away and it'd be mostly in the cracks at that point. And then you could do different colors. Not saying that the, what you're doing now isn't a, a cool, great idea, but if you ever wanted to add color, that's another thought. Yeah, I know. I know with powder coat, you can heat up the thing that you are coating and then like heat it up to the point where it's hotter than the melting point of the plastic. And then you spray it with the plastic and it, um, it sticks to it, I guess is the, uh, is the answer. It'll stick to it, but not really cure into a full shell. And I bet at that point you could like wipe it off. That's called hot flocking. Like you would Mm -hmm. flock the inside of a jewelry box or whatever. Um, and that's how you would powder coat something that's like plastic or glass is you, gotcha. is you hot flack it, something that's non-conductive. Um, I don't know. That, I've never played with that that stuff. It, it's an option for sure. But I'll I, have I, to try I it find that when you try things that are unique like that, even if you don't use it for that project, you usually find a, a use case for it later on. Yes, that's, that's very true. Like, like anytime I've tried to experiment with different surface finishes and stuff, like nine times out of 10, it doesn't work for what I'm intending it to. But then there's that. But most of the time I usually can come back to it later and be like, you know, I tried it on this and it didn't work, but for this, it would be great. <laughs> so I, I love different metal surface finishes. That's one of like finding different metal surface finishes is one of my favorite things. Yeah. Um, like if you look back at the arch top I did, which sorry, I'm not in the mode where I can screen share right now. Uh, we had like five different or six different finishes for it that I thought were all pretty good. And like, I still use those for, you know, various, you know, projects I have various products. And uh, it was all just from playing around with different finishes. Yeah. Finishes are what really set you apart. Like anyone can machine something. But like I went to look at a a guy who makes knives locally. He's got these knives that it's a solid piece of metal and it's a, it's an integrated metal uh, handle into the knife blade. Like it's all one piece, but the way the surface finish that he has on it, it compared to the contrast to the blade. And then it, the, the, the handles all pocketed out. Like I was staring at it for like 10 minutes trying to figure out how he did it and how he got it to kind of wrap around the champers and through the holes. Like it just, it, I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it looked so good and it, it looked like a brushed metal, 
but it looked like it was like a like a painted on brushed metal look, but it was actually in the metal. Um, and was so. the answer to how he did it just hours of hand sanding? No, I didn't end up asking him how he did it. I want to later, but I was just admiring it. And um, I know the answer is probably going to be a lot of hand finishing because he's been doing custom knives for over 20 years. And he's got like a hundred different sanders with different grits and different think belts. And like his, he's only just now getting into CNC. So like he's someone who started off as a pure like water jet cut blank and then literally grind every piece of metal down to the right shape and size. And then that's his knife. Like he's like, he's now getting into more mass production where he went from producing, you know, a handful of knives to a week to like a couple hundred a week because he's machining the blanks down to the point where he, it only takes like a small fraction of the time to hand finish it compared to what he was doing before. So, because he started his knife business in uh, the the PG era, the pre Grimsmo era, oh, <laughs> where yeah. everyone started doing them CNC. Actually, I I think I was the first person that, or one of the first people that talked to him about Grimsmo knives. It actually, okay, here's a funny story. Grimsmo knives actually mentions him on his on mentions this guy specifically. Uh, his name's Crine, Tom Crine, Crine knives. He mentions him specifically on one of their really old YouTube videos because. Tom had this, Tom Crying, he had this hammered brass, this hammered brass uh, knife scales. And someone talked to Grimsmo and was like, I want you to make scales that replicate Tom's design. And so there's a whole YouTube video that I found of Grimsmo when he's at home in his, uh, in his garage trying to replicate a crying knife. Yeah. Uh, was that like pre-Norseman when he was just doing like the Spyderco stuff? I think he was just starting on his on. I think it was actually a Grimsmo knife that he put a hammered finish on. So it was on his knife and the customer wanted a custom scales that were of that looked like crying knives. So I found that video and I went ballistic like because I was just <laughs> one day going through old Grimsmo videos. And I, I, I think I saw like crying knives in the in the description or in the title. And I was like, what? And I started going crazy because, you know, I, I've known the guy for years. So, um, cause he's just, he's lived around here. And when I was in, um, high school, I used to go to a shop all the time and be like, Hey, can you sharpen my knife? And I'd have like this, <laughs> like $5 Walmart knife. And he's been making, you know, these thousand dollar knives. And like me as a kid, I didn't know. I just knew that he worked with knives and I was like, can you sharpen this thing? And he'd be like, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> so I, I now I realize that I could probably go back and be like, this was a knife that was hand sharpened by Tom Crine. <laughs> so, <laughs> but anyway, taking a step back. So coins. So I have I have three coins in my tumbler right now. If all goes well, those should be my final prototypes and ready for product photography. Um, nice. And which, because I'm on such a tight deadline, I guess I'm just doing it myself, but it's fine because I don't want to eat my margins on such a small campaign with somebody else anyway. Um, and ba all of the Kickstarter stuff that is not actually writing the campaign is done. So, like, I, I set up the new project on Kickstarter, I've done all the identity verif verification, um, I've created all of the items and the rewards. 
and all that stuff, but I haven't actually written the campaign itself yet. And you f- I should be able to get that stuff done in two days because I have a good template at this point. Awesome. I got a question for you real quick about Kickstarter. Yeah. Do you feel like the more you do Kickstarter, the faster it is to get verified? Or is it the same amount uh, no matter no matter how many you've done? I don't remember. Uh, it's definitely it was definitely the same day for me. Like, like okay. I did it all in one work session. Like this was you know an hour or two of work, and I hit you know verify me, and then I checked back a couple minutes later, and it was like you're not verified, and then you know a couple minutes after that it was done. So okay. fair enough. I was just I mean, curious. Not doing but... a background check. No, no, but I feel like if you've done so many successful campaigns, eventually, like I feel like. They'd be like, oh, yeah, we know this guy. He's done successful campaigns in the past. So why do we have to keep verifying? Yeah, this, it, I think it's actually you're not verifying, verifying with Kickstarter. You're verifying with Stripe, the payment processor. And I think they kind of set you up a temporary Stripe account, like a subsection of their account. You get your own little Stripe. Gotcha. Account. That makes sense. Uh, at least that I don't know. I could be completely wrong but that's kind of how i've so that's why they have to set it up every time for each individual project that way you know exactly how much money went to that campaign because it's in a separate account makes complete and total sense now so i bet that's yeah that makes sense but i need to go ahead i just i'm reiterating so yeah i just need to take the product photos write the campaign um, and then submit it for approval. The The only other thing that I need to do for that campaign, and maybe I just don't do this or change my um, scope of work here a little bit, is I was going to do a optional add-on stand for the coin. Mm-hmm. The original plan was to do it out of Walnut and, and probably basically just make it a table saw project, like no CNC, just mm-hmm. you know, cut some profiles out, chop them up, you know, put some finish on them. Um, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that in time because for the life of me, I cannot find where to buy nice wood since we moved. Like I knew Ooh. lots of places down in Indy, but now that I'm up here in Muncie, I, I can't find anywhere that has it. So I may have to drive, you know, an hour and a half to go pick up $30 worth of wood. Fair enough. Um, have you thought about doing it out of something else? Yeah, that's kind of made me start thinking about doing it out of aluminum or something. Would you consider 3D printed? I oh, Or considering 3D printed, yes. I have considered okay. 3D printed. Okay. Um, now that I have my, my Prusa Mini running dead reliably, I'd probably need to get some like black filament or something. Because um, right now I like- have red. But How do you like the Prusa Mini so far? I love it. I don't think about it. I put prints on it. I hit go. I walk away. I come back. They're done. Okay. Because we have we have two Prusa i3s, um, but I've thought about getting a smaller one for some of our because they're pretty cheap compared to the the main ones. And we're keeping our printer running pretty much twenty four seven right now, and and have been for a decent amount of time. whether it's stuff for the shop or stuff for other customers, like if I need something 3D printed, I almost have to schedule it in. So, yeah. On 
on my printer right now, I'm printing, I would say two and a half or three kilograms a month. Um, which basically means it runs just about around the clock. So, yeah. yeah. Hang on. I got, I got some cat <laughs> some to deal with. That's a cat. <laughs> I thought your wife was, I don't know, making chicken schnitzel or something and banging it out. Anyway, Harrison's going to go take care of a cat that's doing who knows what. Uh, of course, you waited until I finished talking about the thing that... Oh, ooh, I know what I have to talk about. I have improved upon Gridfinity, at least for ooh. some applications. I have Do a so. new system that I am calling Shelffinity. It's like Gridfinity, but for shelves. Okay. Um, so uh, it. my original plan was basically just to scale up Gridfinity, but mm-hmm. Gridfinity doesn't scale that neatly for a couple of reasons. Um, okay. The biggest reason being that the bases get rather wimpy um, just because they're, they're mostly air. And then also, mm-hmm. if you were to 3D print everything, it would take a, a very long time to 3D print larger bins. Okay. So Shelffinity is designed to be, I'm not going to say all laser cut, but it's almost entirely laser cut. Um, with wooden bins and then there's just some 3D printed little feet and the 3D printed little feet are actually what sits onto the grid that you put on your shelf and if you're on vid- watching the video ignore the tape on this I just glued this one earlier today and that is acting as a clamp do you, do you um, have anything that you have to use for alignment to make sure your 3D prints go in the right spot or are you cutting holes so there are holes on the bottom of, the holes on the, the, the base of the bin that these little feet pop into. And those are spaced neatly to just um, align with the grid. And so a bin takes like 30 seconds to laser. A a grid that's four by, you know, four feet by a foot or so takes maybe 20 minutes to laser. Um, So is there a lot of dead space that you can get other stuff laser cut out of it? Or are you just taking a full sheet and then cutting a bunch of pockets for feet the you end up with lots of little uh well i've been calling them coasters it's a like three and a half inch or so square um and my my grid spacing is four inches so take 48 inches divided by four inches you know multiply it by three to get the 12 and you end up with that many squares it's it's a lot of squares (laughs) um but like I, I did some rearranging in here and I've started using the, the small handful of bins that I have. And I really like it. Like Gridfinity really just changed the way that I stored things in my, my toolbox over there. And I think having a bigger system is going to change the way that I uh, store stuff on shelves. So here's a thought. With those smaller ones, can you make smaller boxes that go in the traditional <laughs> Gridfinity? Probably. Uh, probably. They'd be awfully small. Uh, I don't know. Probably, actually. I think you could. Because you could you could do kind of what you're doing in this one, where you have holes in it and where you're 3D printing something on it. So what you could do is the old Gridfinity system with your new box, with your little centerpieces, you could just put a couple holes and then glue the bottom of the traditional Gridfinity to that. Um, and then you could make a, uh, acrylic grid finities where the bottom still lines up. So you 
still get all those little pieces out of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure you could do something like that. Though I'm not using acrylic. I'm using hardboard, uh, oh, which yeah. I like because one, it's very consistent eighth of an inch. Um, like as far as a wood product go, it's very precise. It's also mm -hmm. very cheap. It cuts really well and you don't have to do any sort of sanding or painting or anything. That's awesome. Uh, it's a little wimpy. It, it's a little bit weak, but it's like $15 for a four by eight sheet. And I just have them nice. slice it up for me at Lowe's and then I can just throw it straight onto the laser. Nice. Um, but I've been having a blast. I made, I think, 12 bins today. Uh, and I I've like been, it. Uh, I'm slowly, everything in the shop will eventually be organized. Yeah. We we actually kind of had our own, I won't say Gridfinity, but they're super cute little bins that I really want to, I think we need to put up a post on Instagram. I don't think we've put a post up on them yet, but um, we had these, um, what are they like? One by one by four, like the, 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 the traditional little drawers that you get whenever you're trying to organize like drill bits and tools and stuff like that. Like they're everywhere. Um, and we got one for screws, but um, because a lot of the gun stuff that we do, um, a lot of times we have to put custom hardware to hold everything together, depending on what we're doing. Like for our markups, like we provide our own hardware because we're trying to standardize on some of that stuff a little bit more. And we got all these different length ones, depending on what gun it's going in. And when you buy the the boxes of screws, the boxes that they come in are just a little too big to fit in those bins traditionally. Yep. And so you either have to smash them up or dump them all in and they get unorganized. And they come with like a single divider down the center. Um, but I challenged my cousin to print out smaller bins. And so we got four of these little itty bitty bins in one of those trays and it's super cute and it organizes so well and it looks so good. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure people have done that before, um, but we just took one of our bins that we were using and kind of shrunk it down. Or I think he, that's what he did and shrunk it down to fit it. And I mean, they're just so cute to look at because they're these tiny little bins that have all these tiny little screws in them. So we'll probably, that's, that's we'll how probably great it makes me point. feel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It scratches the like the the collector and keep things neat and organized niche. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love it because like he's got um, we got a label maker, um, and so he's labeled all the different screw sizes on this thing, and so I love it because I can pull, I can just see you know like four forty screws, and I pull it out and it's got all these different sizes and this tiny these tiny little bends and it's like oh that's so cute, <laughs> I love it, <laughs> but. Uh, no, it's great. Um, what else? Oh, <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, something. I have one more thing going on, which is I'm in the process of receiving a Christmas gift from my dad, which is a new powder coat booth. Um, mm -hmm. the current one I threw together for like literally under a hundred dollars in like an afternoon with a circular saw and a, a brad nailer and like some plastic wrap and I mean, it's worked like I've powder coated things in there, but it's been messy and dirty and, you know, wasn't I don't know, just it was it, it was um, like clear painters tarp and two by fours. It was never going to be very nice. And my dad for Christmas was like, I'm going to build you a powder coat. Booth. Um, and so it's going to have like a, a a top down down draft, like nice dust collection and um, 
you know, walls that are made out of hard stuff. And it's going to have like two overhead lights and then four lights on the walls and, you know, all the switches and outlets you could ever want. And so I'm, I'm very excited for that. that. That's awesome. My dad's made us several different cabinets and things around the shop. And um, I, I love it because one, it's nice and it helps organize us. And two, I think he enjoys it because he's helping us out. Um, and it just, it just adds to the whole experience of starting a business. So I, I love it. Um, but I was going to say something else that happened today. Um, I didn't think about it immediately cause my cousin's been dealing with it more than I have. Um, but what would your reaction be if you were using a, you know, less than a year old Haas lathe and you had stuck some material into the um you had stuck some material into the um oh what's it called the not the chuck but the the area behind the chuck and the word is eluding me right now um it's not a feeder anyways, tube the yeah board. like the feeder tube something something along those lines the exact word is is eluding me and then when you pull that material out you find a random o ring on it Huh. Broken O-ring or complete O-ring? Complete O-ring. And the part you stuck in there was a gun. That I mean, the O-ring does not go on the gun, obviously. It's way too big for the gun. Um, But there was a random O-ring that is almost the exact same size as the... um, Not bar feeder, but the the, the, the The tube section. Spindle liner! Thank you! Spindle liner that goes between the, the, the chuck and the back of the lathe. Um, but there was a random O-ring that is like the perfect size of the spindle liner. Um, or a little bit bigger than the spindle liner. And we called our Haas rep and he said there's nothing on the Haas machine that should have an O-ring like that that ends up in it. He says, do you have an aftermarket collet system that we installed? Because that might have it inside it. And so... We tore the whole new collet system that we installed on it. It only had two O-rings, according to the 2D cutaway CAD drawings. And both those O-rings are where they need to be. And so now we are trying to figure out what is this O-ring? How did it get in our spindle bore? And is something going to break? Like on our <laughs> machine, did something come off? Oh, like gosh. there's nothing that we've machined. Because the only thing that we've machined that hasn't been a solid bar has been gun parts. And no gun is going to have an O-ring of that size in it. And it was in that spindle liner. Yeah. And we we don't actually have true spindle liners that actually decrease the size. It's just the spindle bore that goes between the front and the back. Just the metal tube. And it's like, it it looks like it belongs on the Haas. And we, we checked, we tore apart the three jaw truck that we took off. We tore apart the Royal Collet system we put on. Um, we have gone through um, different manuals of everything that we can think of. Um, and it and it's not broken. It's not torn. Um, and it's, it's making us incredibly nervous. Could it, was it the right size for the Royal Chuck? No, it was too small. 
So it because it was too small in both diameter and like the the actual diameter of the gasket or of the O ring, the cross section. Yeah, the cross sectional diameter and the physical diameter. Um. So I mean, at some point, at some point, you have to go and just listen for odd sounds for the next couple of months. But here's the thing: it's been making odd sounds. Oh, interesting. Maybe that O ring's important. We've attributed that to the cold that it's been, because when it warms up, it goes away. But it's it has been making noises, and it sounded like belt noises. And then as it warmed up, it would go. It would start to go away, but not completely. And we tried calling the Haas Tech when we first started doing that, and tried sending him videos and talking to him over the phone while it's doing it, and he's like. Those just sound like normal Haas noises. And we're like, are you sure? So. Um, I mean, a bearing wouldn't have an O-ring in it. Um, this, hmm, I don't know. It is, hurt, it is hurting our brain. Um, like, there's different there's different plugs and caps that can go on it. And we're like, maybe it's one of those. And all of the ones that came with the Haas to plug off different holes, they all have their O-rings still on them. Um, is it the right size as those? No, it's not. (laughs) Um, there hasn't been anything that we've found that is the right size for this. Um, it couldn't have been like holding a tag onto a barrel or something from a manufacturer. No, we tear them all the way down to where it's just the barrel basically. One in a million shot from a, six-year-old outside your window no um it's driving like we have torn this machine apart now and i'm hoping we can get it all put back together with that like i'm hoping we're not making it worse at this point um could it have been on like the inside of a panel like bent into a, a square to fit a square groove or something that you wouldn't have necessarily caught but because how to end up in the people board. think of O-rings as round. I don't know. One in a million shot. Nah, that's the thing that's making us really nervous. Or like you set um, your material down on it and then it rides the material up into the. There is one location that we have found that it could be, but it makes zero sense. So when you disassemble the chuck, to install it. Like if you take the three jaw truck and put the Royal call it system on it, the spindle liner or the spindle tube gets threaded on to whatever chuck you have. And you could stick this O ring at the bottom of those threads. And then when you oh, screw this okay. thing on, it could be like a face for that, but there is no instructions anywhere that says that say it goes in that location. And everyone we've talked to in all the research like no one has it going there and no one has anything there. And they said, there's no reason to have anything there. I don't know. I could see a use there. Cause if you're, there could potentially be a, I think if I'm understanding this right, a, a misalignment between the chuck and that tube. And you wouldn't want the tube to uh, like vibrate your chuck. And so the, maybe if you, by putting a little piece of rubber in there, the tube threads no, on, okay. The tube threads on. The tube is actually what connects to the chuck to allow the hydraulics to clamp the chuck open and closed. 
So it's threaded on the end so that so that your chuck actually threads onto this tube and that tube actually moves back and forth whenever your chuck is clamping or, or unclamping. And so um like and that tube doesn't isn't designed to bottom out because how you set how far your jaws open and close is by threading or unthreading oh, it more or less on that tube. So it's a floating thread that's designed to not be thread all the way on in the first place. So that's the other reason why it doesn't make sense why it would go there. Because when you're taking the three jaw chuck off, um, they want you to count the rotations. That way you can make sure you can put it back on in the correct location. Or when you install it, like there's there's grooves on the side of the three jaw that as you open and close it, you want like it has a top groove and a bottom groove, and then there the jaw itself has a single groove, and you want to be inside a certain zone, and that means you're clamping properly. If you're outside the that zone, then that means that you're you're at the limits of your hydraulic range, and you might not be have full clamping pressure on whatever it is you're trying to clamp, and so um, that's why you have to make sure you got to have threaded on the correct amount so that those gauges work properly. Could it have been like in the chuck for shipping purposes and then removed? Just come and... out now? Yeah. After all happen, the stuff we've vibrations. After all the stuff we've pushed through that bore, some of it basically the exact diameter of the bore. Yeah. I don't know. That, see, that's the thing that's like we've been racking our brain over trying to figure out. Like it, it makes no sense. And. And like, we've had multiple conversations on the phone with the host tech trying to figure it out. And today, um, like, hey, could it be this? Could it be this? No, no, there's no O rings in that location. No, there's no O rings in that location. Ah. And if there was O rings in those locations, it would have been broke when it got inside your tube. Uh, well, I mean, if the machine's running. Yeah, I know. That's what he said. He's like, so just put it back together and it's like, it should be fine. I'm like, do we need to like note this for warranty reasons? If something goes bad later that the Haas guy said it was okay to run. <laughs> well, here we go. We have podcast documentation. Yeah. Podcast Haas, documentation. This is a binding legal document. Yeah. This is, this is a binding <laughs> podcast, <laughs> a legal podcast. <laughs> so, oh man. Yeah. So that's been, and now we got to put everything back together without solving it, which is the most frustrating part of it all. Cause we spent like three, two or three hours trying to figure this out. Um, so that's fun. And we, we disassembled the Royal call it system way more than we probably should have. <laughs> this is we not had... Royal. This is not a binding podcast. You don't, yeah, th- you can't take yeah, this, this as yeah. hypothetically. <laughs> yeah. He might uh, have binding, but, but Royal this is not, <laughs> So, Royal, don't use it, this against us for any warranty yeah, claims. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Although Royal is awesome in the fact that they give me all the schematics of what's going on inside that and all nice. the torque specs for every single bolt and fastener on that system. That is so, nice. Oh man, I I for repairability and workability, I really like in the Royal stuff. Um, even though I don't think this is their fault. The O-rings that we found on the inside were like three times the size and diameter compared to this one. Um, so. And, and uh, cross-sectional diameter. But I saw a used Citizen lathe 
the other day on Facebook Marketplace. And it looked like it was in pretty good condition. It was like, I want that. This would bankrupt me if I bought it. I don't even know what the price was. But like, even if it was free, like just trying to get the machine installed and running probably would bankrupt me. But it was mm-hmm. like, man, I want that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a Swiss yeah. lathe, you know, doing pens or whatever would be. It would be great. Yeah. So there's another. T- I'll give you guys a, a little bit of a teaser for something that we might be doing. I don't want to say anything too much. Um, but we have a, a new gun related product that we will hopefully be working on in the future. Um, and it's something that um, as we've kind of gotten into the gun stuff a little bit. um it's something that was never on my radar until my dad tried to buy some upgrades and this was part of the upgrades and he asked us if we could make it and it was originally made out of aluminum. Um, but I was looking on the market and there are some in titanium, but they're very rare. And so I'm thinking about trying to make them in titanium as like a really high end replacement for a stock component on a gun. So interesting. And it, it would be I want to cos- ask questions, but it, it would be a cosmetic um improvement more than anything functional. Um but people spend a lot of money. I okay, to put it in perspective, I did a little research on this. Um for non-titanium components of this style, um cheapest I saw for like an aluminum bare bones one was around 20 bucks. Middle of the road was around 60 and I saw someone selling these in titanium. The cheapest titanium one I found was 160 and the most expensive I found was 750. Is this like let's say something that would get a thread on one end and have some holes on other ends? No, it would not. Okay. No, it doesn't go on the end of your gun. I will say okay. that. Because you were threading barrels the other day, yeah. And it was like, is I, it a muzzle I've, brake I've, or? A I've suppressor, thought about doing but... muzzle brakes, but no, this this would not be a muzzle brake. Uh, and it's it's a component that I would never have thought of, um, just because I didn't think people would spend that stupid amount of money on something like this. Um, the only thing I can think of is like the mag release, which it's probably not. But no, it's not. <laughs> I don't know what else you would I... do because. It I kind of, I kind of, the... I kind of like the mystery. So there's someone that listens to this podcast that's going to be yelling at their computer or iPhone or whatever, and they're going to be like, "I know what it is," and you might be right, but I'll try. I'll You're... confirm it later. Mm-hmm. It, it it sounds like since it's material ag- agnostic and kind of price agnostic, it sounds like I assume it's not something that's in the I don't know what you call it on a gun the the drive system. It's not on the critical path in the mm-hmm. firing system. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. No. So, and it's not a sight. I'd have to also imagine, unless it's like iron sights. But, and it's it and it's a it's a part that we are going to attempt to make through the mill and the lathe. It's going to require both. Uh, you went roboty on me. Can you repeat that, please? Oh, it's going to be a mill lathe part. So it's going to require both and dedicated fixturing. So, well, sounds uh, interesting. At least the way we want to make it. Um, and is so, it something that mounts via the uh, Piketty rails? No. No, no? Piketty yeah. rails. So Mm-mm. it's not a foregrip. Mm-mm. No. 
Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm just keep this big. I'm gonna keep this big yeah. grin on for now because <laughs> it, it, it like it's literally it wasn't on my radar in the slightest. Um, but now that I see it, I can't stop thinking about it. Um, Is it something that all or most guns have? No. No. Uh, well, I guess on some level, yes, but not like this. I, I guess I could tell. I mean, that's that's not really that big. Of no, a no, no. It's a mystery. Keep the mystery. Keep the mystery. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I won't oh, here. Spoil. Outro. This is, we can do this as part of our outro. Next time on Taps and Patience, Harrison yeah. from Precision Ingenuity will reveal his <laughs> dastardly plan. <laughs> what will he make? It's not a muzzle break. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the Batcave. <laughs> <laughs> will he find out or will he suppress us? Oh, man. Yeah. That was, that okay. was a bad suppressor pun. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess we'll keep the mystery for now. Um, but I, I'm excited in the fact that um, I really want to I really want to give it a shot. And um, that's a pun. Yeah. Yeah. Give it a shot. <laughs> and uh and I, I feel like that in recent um, with some recent projects that we've worked on that I have a really unique method for doing it and, and uh, that would be very, very cost effective compared to what I've done in the past. I think that's a good thing to have in your sights. Yeah. You don't want to just go with a stock one. <laughs> How many gun puns can we make? <laughs> Shots fired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no but it's it's exciting um and and i feel like it's one of the first products that i've thought of where um i could it actually would have a somewhat decent profit margin compared to everything else that i've done because everything else i've done so far either um i have to price it so high that i don't sell any or i have to price it so low that i make nothing um yeah, yep <laughs> <laughs> so so I feel like this could be something that I could actually get a, a decent return on investment and would be hard to replicate if you didn't have the right machines. Um, so it's not something like you, someone couldn't produce it at scale without having um, a mill and a lathe, at least in the way that we're trying to do it. You could you could make it all on a mill, but I feel like you would have a lot more work post-processing than you would if you had a mill and a lathe. And this is how Harrison ends up with a Willeman. Oh, that would be awesome. But I don't even think a Willeman's the right answer for this. Oh, really? Um, oh, so Milton yeah. then? Um, no. I, I, I really think the way that we're I'm thinking about doing it, um, you you can't bar feed it either. Um, because of the way it's designed, you have to have dedicated fixturing. Um. Because I'm I'm doing something that was probably never designed to be done on a lathe. I'll give away a little bit. And <laughs> Those so are my favorite things. <laughs> and so um, it's going to require special fixturing for the lathe. But if it can be done and it works, um, then um, I think it'll do well. Uh, and I think I can I can produce it at a good cost. And the titanium element of it will. Um, and, and the, the cool thing is, is I could make it out of anything after I get titanium down. If I wanted to make aluminum yeah. versions or copper or other materials, um, which might give a little bit of a hint as to what else it could be for those of you that are listening. But, 
Um, I think it's one of those, it's a type of part that almost any material could be on the table. Sweet. So, anyways, I'll leave it at that for now. Yeah. Well, on that note, do you want to bring us out now yeah. that we've built suspense for next week? Yeah. So for those of you who have been listening, now is the time to subscribe and tell your friends so you can, so they can learn the mysteries that I've been working on. <laughs> so um, this is Harrison with Precision Ingenuity signing out with AJ from Design the Everything. See y'all next Bye. week. I jumped the gun. Ha, <laughs> <laughs>